Good evening. It's good to see you. It's good to have each and every one of you here. We'll be studying tonight from uh, Colossians chapter 2. We have a handout, and I did put it out early, but hardly nobody picked it up. <laughs> so we're going to hand it out to you if you'd like to have one. Uh, Johnny's handing that out right now. Uh, obviously, I'm not Marty Kessler. And I'm not Curtis either. Curtis, uh, brother, I'd be more than glad to hear you preach and teach. Yeah, that's fine. But, but, uh, I hope so. Uh, Marty asked me about this last week, and then he took a couple of days to get the material to me. And I've been studying the last couple of days on this material, hoping to present it well in light of the scriptures. And I just noticed... With a Bible that has small print and no light right there, (laughs) this might be a trick. (laughs) I hope you have read the book of Colossians this week or sometimes in the past. If not, uh, truth for today's commentaries right here. Excellent books. The church provides these. If you want one, they'll get you one. They've been getting me one for the last 10, 11, 12 months. I have about 20, 22 of these already. Uh, Great commentaries to study from. Good insight in there also. And uh, each book is written by individuals. This is by Owen D. Obrecht and uh, Bruce McClarty. But uh, as we go here. So if you have your lesson plan there. John, John, you've given those out, right, haven't you? All right. I'd like to mention that also that Marty's at the uh, Central Church of Christ and more. That's why he's not here tonight. He's preaching there. Well, one of these preacher speaking nights, and uh, he was asked to come there, so he asked me to, come to preach, teach tonight. So, and as if you, if you looked in the, we talked about. I was wondering about this. He gave me information on chapter two, and I was I was concerned because I thought, did we go through chapter one? <laughs> and then I thought, well, yeah, I made some comments on chapter one. We must have went through it, but he didn't have a handout, so it threw me off that I know of. So if if you have your lesson plan there, I'd like for somebody to read would somebody like to read uh, chapter two, verse one through five. One through five, that's what we're gonna do here. Pardon? Who said that? What go ahead. Okay, I'm going to read also chapter 4, verse 16, because it's going to, what's what we're going to talk about here in just a minute. And when the letter is read among you, have it also uh, read in the churches of Laodicea and, and you, for your part, reading, read my letter, and it's coming from Laodicea. 
The Laodiceans, later on, you're going to find out seven years after this period of time, have had some problems in their church. And if we go to Revelations 3, verse 14, we're going to find out some of their, some of their statements made about them, and then we're going to come back to these two, two verses here. Revelation chapter 3, verse 14. And the angel of the church will let us see to write, the amen, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of, of, a, of the creation of God said, says this, I know your deeds, and you are neither cold nor hot. I would that you would be cold or hot. So because you are neither, neither cold, hot or cold, I will spew or spit you out of my mouth because you say, I am rich and have become wealthy and have been, have need of nothing. And you do not know that you are wretched and miserable and poor and blind and naked. I advise you to buy from me gold refined by fire that you may be, you may become rich and with white garments that you may clothe yourself and that the shame of your nakedness may be, may not be revealed. And in the eyes of a slave to, to anyone, your eyes that you may see. Those who I have loved, I reprove and discipline. Be zealous, therefore, and repent. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and to him and will dine. And with him and with he with me. He who overcomes, I will grant to him to sit down with me on my throne in, as I also overcome and sat down with my father on his throne. He who has an ear, let him hear, and who has a spirit, say to to the churches. That you just read brings to mind, uh, you know, we're the light of the world, or we're the salt of the earth, but yet whenever you're lukewarm, you're neither. And so it, it makes you think in different ways about the same thing, and it just... It gives you pause. Am I, am I lukewarm? Am I the salt of the earth? Am I, is he going to, you know. But then I get to thinking about the rest of the passage that you read where it talks about, you know, I love you. That's why I, I rebuke and chasten you. So it gives us hope. Okay. But yet it points out possible the way we look at ourselves versus the way God sees us. Okay, well, we're going to find out in Colossians here in chapter 2 that Paul's actually telling the people to hold fast to what you've been taught. There are people in the world that are going to try to deceive you and take you away or trick you to mislead you. And actually, they're going to try to deny the deity of God later as we're going through here. But on the first question here, what other congregation besides Colossae did Paul have concern? And it was Laodicea. And what was his concern there? Because he, he had heard some of the same things about them. They have lost their, they turned from their first love. How did they turn? Did somebody deceive them or trick them and realize that they say that, you know, there needs to be more than just Christ for me to be, a, 
the servant of God, and to go to heaven. And we hear that today. That's prevailing out there in the world. The charismatic movement. Have your band. Have your charismatic singers. Have your charismatic speakers. Listen to me. Listen to man. Turn away from what you've been heard. Tickle your ears over here. Do what we do. We're all going to heaven. We know that's not true. We're all going to be judged. Not all are going to go to heaven. But he's concerned about the Laodicea church. What also does he in, instruct the church at Colossae to do in regarding to the congregations? He's talking about when, you, when they receive this letter, read it, and then send it to Laodicea to let them read it, and then bring it back and read it again here in, in uh, Colossae. Uh, he wants the Colossians to read the letter to them and bring it back and read it to the Colossians later back so they can learn from this that you won't turn away, that you won't be deceived or beguiled to think that I need more than Jesus Christ and his teaching, his deity. And, and I bring that up because in Acts 4.12, we talk about this, the scriptures. And there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven that has been given among, you, among men by which you must be saved. You don't need a feel-good situation religion. You need Jesus Christ. No name under heaven whereby we can be saved. So we, as disciples of Christ, Paul as an apostle of Christ, we're basically messengers of the word. We need to teach the world. All you need is Jesus Christ. His blood covers our sins. As we think about that, what would cause you to turn away from the church? My kids' baseball team on practice on Wednesday night, ball games on Sunday morning. I just don't feel good enough tonight to go. Eh, there's not much going on down there. These are things we have to be careful that are creeping in, our mindset. But we can't encourage and fellowship and uplift each other if we're not here. We need that mindset. Go ahead. So what you mentioned are more of an apathetic mindset. Oh, I'm, I'm busy with kids' baseball games. So right. you know, it's just one time at work. But a lot of people that I've known growing up, whether they were Church of Christ or some other church, left because other people as they were growing up were wolves in sheep's clothing. That they preyed upon them. Okay, they deceived them. They preyed upon them. And just really do this or you're darned. And and, and they just, for a young mind growing up, it was not a nurturing environment. And they said they didn't want to be a part of that. Okay. And I can see that, too, where that happens. You know, people look at the church, maybe in your own family or whatever, and they say, well, you know, we've got to be there every Sunday. Well, it's good to be here every Sunday. But if your health is so bad and you're sick, you're going to contaminate somebody else, and their health is going to be bad and end up in a hospital. Do you really need to be here on Sunday? God knows. You know, we ought to take care of each other. With this pandemic going on just recently, not too much. A lot, of, a lot of you and I and everybody else was concerned about that, that somebody's going to infect me and I'm going to get sick, spend 10, 12, 20 days in the hospital and die. 
Harold, you had your hand up. Seems like an idea to me that uh, sometimes people come into the church and unless they can get connected with other people and be integrated into a group of some sort, and they, if they don't get that, they just kind of become loners in a sense, and so you can, it's pretty easy to fall away. Right, that's and very I think true. That's, and I think that could be a real problem if we, everybody, that's why Hebrews 10 says, don't forsake the assembly, but encourage one another. So that's something we really ought to be trying to do, but that's something all of us do for everybody else that's in the church. Right. It's been said, just a minute, it's been said if you have a new member, new Christian, get them involved. They're excited, they're pumped up, they're enthused, and actually they'll pump up and enthuse you to be involved too. If you have a new member comes and places membership here with us, we need to get them involved. If you're involved, you're going to stay. If you're not involved, you'll more likely drift away. As soon as you have something. Society, a lot of reasons why there's such an influx of people going elsewhere is they want to be entertained. This is true. They want to be entertained. Right. That's the bottom line. Paul? Well, I think the other side of that coin also is that we're told that there's different types of soil. There's yes. some people that receive it right away and carries the water, etc. And I've had conversations with certain people that cited a grievance with a member or some kind of hypocrisy in the church or something. I don't go to church because it's just a bunch of hypocrites. And the point that I made to him was, you might be right, but that doesn't absolve your responsibility to the Lord on the judgment day. That's true. That's not going to be a valid reason why you blew off the Lord. Well, because the church was full of sinners and somebody hurt my feelings. Too bad, so sad, man. You still need the blood of Christ, and where else do you find it? Right. As we look at the problems the church are having here in this situation where somebody's trying to deceive them or beguile them or pull them away from false doctrines, Paul's saying, stand firm. Be united. When it talks about the responsibility of the teacher. Yes. In, in order to get up in front of someone and that weight yes. of that responsibility and then to rightly divide the word. This, it almost scares me to the point that it scares some people to the point they won't do it. I'll basically say that. I've been there. I want to do that. You're held a greater, uh, more responsibility for preaching and teaching the word than the person over here just hearing it. But we're all preachers and teachers of the word. We should be. We should be developing fruit or developing more Christians. But he says, I want you to know that how great a struggle I have on your behalf. This is Paul saying, it. why is he struggling on behalf of the Laodiceans or the Colossians? He loves them. He's not there with them. But what? They're in his thoughts. They're in his mind. They're in his prayers. You know, do we think about our other congregations in the area? Pray for them. Central Church of Christ, East Side Church of Christ, Hare Church of Christ, Dell City Church of Christ. There's another one out here somewhere I'm trying to think of. Shawnee Church of Christ. Okay. Broadway. You know, they're not physically right here, but brothers, they're, they're members of the body just like we are. They've got struggles. We've got struggles. We can all learn from our struggles from one another. Go ahead, Nisi. Well, what I want to say is that 
say in regard to what you were saying about teaching. I think if we didn't get up there because we were afraid, what we need to do when we get up there is think, all these people are here for the exact same reason. We are here to get to heaven. And we're going to glean what you say, whether it's perfect speech or whether you get up there and, you know, are eloquent with your, with your talking. We just need to know that the people sitting out here are, are wanting to encourage you to do things that you are fearful for. Right. I remember as a young Christian, I couldn't pray because I thought, well, that lady prays so much prettier than I do. And now, I don't know that I pray any more eloquent than anybody else, but I, it comes from my heart. And that's what we need to look at. Us sitting out here that people are teaching, we should be loving them and saying, look at what they're doing. Right. And then they should feel that love. And that's a good point because it encourages us to stand before others. I'm basically not a public speaking person. <laughs> I was just an ordinary mechanic my whole life, Air Force, whatever. But by the grace of God, I'm standing here today, like Nisi said, probably scared to death. <laughs> but you encouraged me for being here. Paul, go ahead. So one of the best ways to actually learn yourself, it forces you into the Word. You can't just stay on the surface if you're going to present something by taking on the responsibility of teaching, it forces you into the Word. You know, you, you read, you study, and you preach from the overflow. You preach from, that's what I've been taught. I didn't, you know, I didn't come up with that. That's what I've been taught. Right. But I have found that to be true. Anytime I have put together a lesson or something, man, there's nothing that forces you into the Word more than having to teach it. That's, a, that's an excellent point, and that's what's happening. Yeah. Um, and like what she says, you are learning more than we are because you had to get up in front of the class and prepare a lesson. And then as you teach, everything connects, and then you reason through it, and then you're able to present it to us. And so your growth is exponential compared to what we're learning in class. It, that's exactly right. In verse 2 here, it says that your hearts may be encouraged having been knit together. This net is bind together, pull together, stand together, united together. We may be encouraged with this, with study, open comments like that we're having here. We're knit together in love, attaining to all the wealth that comes from the fullness, assurance of understanding, results of the true knowledge of God's mystery that is Christ himself. And there is a mystery in Christ and the knowledge of God. You know, I, I wonder sometimes, you know, here's God himself, Christ, who left heaven in the form of a man. The word became flesh, dwelt among us. John 1 14 over there. He's the mystery that I understand. How does that happen? <laughs> you know, born of a virgin. How does that happen? The Holy Spirit overshadowed Mary. These are questions that, you know, I've studied through and listened to. I believe, I accept the word of God because that's what he said he did. And yet we're knit together in these thoughts or bound together in these thoughts. And I have had people say, no, I don't believe that. And I said, what do you believe? You know, well, I don't believe Jesus Christ is the son of God. Well, that, to me, that would be blaspheming, you know. Because he says he is, the scriptures prove that he is, and he proves that he is by the resurrection of his body after he was killed and, and crucified. 
he rose again. But what Paul's concerned about, also the Colossians, it was not the true the congregation has helped get started. He had, even though he hasn't seen these people, there's people in, in uh, Central Church Christ tonight I haven't seen in years. But they're brothers and sisters in Christ. I'm concerned for them, and we should be concerned for them. It's like being concerned for a loved one, a family member, your boss at work, the teller down here at the store. Do we really have a desire and a concern for them that they're lost if they don't know the word of God? We shall be known by our love. By our love. Jesus taught us. Yes, yes, that's exactly right. And we're saying here, do I love them enough to tell them? And take rejection. Oh, I might be rejected? <laughs> yes, you probably will be. I have been. Others have been. But it didn't stop me from telling somebody else. Because the few six, eight people that I have baptized over the years are still faithful. I don't know what they've done. I remember when I was in the military in 1975 through 79 at Hill Air Force, Utah, Base, Utah, at the little Clearfield Church of Christ, where we were preaching and teaching, and a guy from the Job Corps was there that night. And one of the guys who's been studying with him come talk to me and said, Billy, he wants to be baptized. Okay. To this day, I can't remember the person's name. And it bothered me. I thought, what's he doing today? And then I realized when Philip went to the eunuch and caught up with him and baptized him, he went on his way rejoicing. Yes, he knew who he was, but he went on his way. This brother in Christ went on his way. I don't know what he did. I hope he stayed faithful, and I pray that he has been. My heart yearns for that, to know that I hope he's faithful because we taught him. He stayed with us for almost three years there while I was there, coming and going from the job corps. And it was a love I had for him because he needed to know the word of God. As like the world. We ought to love the world. Not love to be in the world because the world's not our home. We're just passing through. We sing that often. This world is not my home. I'm just passing through. We're citizens in heaven even though we're bound here on earth. And as citizens in heaven, we want to lay our treasures up there. We're going to find out about the word wealth here in just a minute, which is the next verse. It says, what, what word does Paul use to describe the result of full assurance and understanding? And that word is wealth in, in uh, verse chapter 2, the verse 2 there. Uh, what things does he say are hidden in, in, in Christ? But if you think about the word wealth, that's why I brought this little commentary here. Let me get over here and see something. Faithful. Oh. Okay, somebody moved my marker. That must have been me. <laughs> uh, one of the things I think is, I want to suggest that we're impervious to this congregation specifically to false teaching, but we have men and leaders in this church that know the scriptures well and can, you know, flag or identify or pinpoint false teachings if they pop up. However, what I would present is that the letter to Laodicea, Laodicea excuse me, 
is pertinent to us because part of the problem that that church had was that they had become wealthy. They had become apathetic. Right. They, they just were on cruise control. And it was about culture and about wealth for them. And they were straying from that first love. Well, I do think we are a candidate for that. <clears throat> Our lives are pretty easy by you know, comparison to the rest of the world. I think that would be something that we should be on high alert for. Okay, those are talking about the wealth we're talking about here in the, uh, verse uh, question three. What word does Paul use to describe the result of full assurance of understanding? And he uses the word wealth. Wealth, according to Paul, is not found in money or in things physically physical worth. Wealth also means also, also mentioned in verse one twenty twenty chapter one verse twenty seven is found as understanding. Paul prayed that you give in other words, you're going to basically say your your wealth, your treasure should be laid up in heaven. Sometimes we think of wealth as a man here on earth, a millionaire, a billionaire, CEO, Bill Gates, or somebody like that. But regardless who you are and all the money you have, you're deficient in spiritual wealth if you're not a child of God. Yes, uh, according to what you just said, when we lay up our treasures in heaven, we're, raw, we're moth and rust doesn't corrupt. We look at wealth, but do we? How do we look at it? Do we look at it in earthly or heavenly, and then whenever I look at it, try to look at it spiritually. What is my wealth? I guess that's the question. Is it a good conscience before God? Is it a humble and contrite attitude? Is it is it my name written in the Lamb's Book of Life? Is it keeping myself my ropes wide? Is it uh, allowing myself to uh, not quench the spirit, let the spirit dwell within me. How would you quantify? Honestly, I, I, that's my question. I, I'm asking to, quanti- to quantify that wealth. Which one do you need to be? What? Think of it like this. Okay, I had all this money. I don't have a need for anything, but yet I do. What is it that I need? I need Christ Jesus in my life. What, the scriptures say, what would it profit a man if he gained the whole world and lost his soul? There's where you're trying to quantify right here. Is all this worth this, my soul? No. But if I have treasures in heaven, I'm going to go there to that. Those treasures are my deeds, my works, those people I'm bringing with me, my children, my grandchildren, your brothers and sisters, those you work with. That's your wealth. That's Paul's wealth he's talking about here. Bring these people with you. What he had done had come up before God. Is a, so that would be, well, maybe. What he, he had, okay. Yeah, I think some Christians like to fall into the idea that wealth is inherently bad. Like right. If it, you, it's if not. If you don't have it's money, really somehow not. you're more righteous than if you do have money. I would suggest money is just a tool... You can do good with a hammer. You can do evil. You you can build treasure in heaven with your wealth on earth. You can do that. You use it. I was going to bring that up too. Is money, in a sense, is not bad. It's the love of money that's bad. Because 
what do you use the love of money for? It becomes your God. And who do you reject? God. That you're building on is the fruit of the Spirit. All the fruits you get, peace, joy, stuff like that. Because that, that's, that keeps you on track. You have the hope. If, if, oh, yes, the hope we're talking about here on page 185 here. The wealth. Wealth is talked about here is not earthly wealth. We should think about spiritual wealth. Uh, let's go to verse the, the, the uh, number three, third crew question that we're talking about wealth. Which things does he say are hidden in Christ Jesus? He's talking about all treasures, all wisdom of wisdom and knowledge. And they do that. that why does he say this? The reason he's talking about wealth here and the treasures and knowledge of Jesus Christ is because it's hidden until somebody preaches it or teaches it to somebody and they come to knowledge of it. If all spiritual blessings are in Christ, and the scriptures say that in Ephesians 1, 3 over there and other areas, if all spiritual blessings are in Christ, where do you need to be? In Christ. Okay, if there's redemption... For forgiveness of my sins in Christ, where do I need to be? If there's eternal life, there's, this life holds nothing for us. We're going to die, pass away, go back through the dust of the ground, and our spiritual life, our soul, is going to go back to God to give an account for what we've done in this life. That's eternal life. Sometimes we think eternity is here on earth. It's not. Go ahead. I'll come back to this. I often have the conversation with my nieces and nephews about what is rich. And they're, oh, you have $5,000 in the bank. And, and I tell them that, no, that's, it should be where your bills are paid and you have enough and you've got an abundance right. that you can give to others. And that is what I see that wealth here is that you've got the knowledge and you've got the peace because you are provided for and that you're able to provide that abundance to others. And that is the, the mystery that is given, that you've learned it, you've absorbed it, you have the boldness and the trust in your faith <coughs> that you're able to abundantly provide that knowledge to other people. And that is, when I read this, how I see that, that wealth that is given, that you can share with others. So when we come to the knowledge of Christ and his word, and we realize this world we're just passing through, Yes, he's provided for us. He's given us a good living. We may have a little extra in savings to do whatever, be comfortable for. But if we use that always for the glory of God, we're doing good. If we're selfish and say, no, I can't help that person, we'll give account for it. But in Christ, all these special uh, blessings, which are hidden in Christ through the word and the teaching of Christ, sanctification. Grace, being a new creature, being reconciled back to God. We were separated from God through sin. We're being brought back through reconciliation through Christ's blood. We have an advocate, the Father, who's going to cleanse us from our sins continually if we what? Walk in him. How do we get in him? 
Well, we've got to hear the word. We've got to believe the word. We've got to confess Christ our personal Savior. We've got to repent of our sins. We've got to be baptized. That's the only way I know the scriptures teach to get in Christ. It's not through osmosis. And to receive these blessings, to be brought back to God or near to God, we have to obey God. Preston, go ahead. This is scary for me. I mean, it's just the more I think about it, the scarier it gets because he's talking to them. Right. He's chastising them, like you pointed out in Revelations. And we're talking about treasures or wealth. And then I, I went to this verse, uh, Matthew nine twenty one. Jesus said to him, if you wish to be complete, go sell your possessions and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. Come follow me. And I'm thinking, am I willing to do that? Am I like the church in Laodicea? Am I there? Am I comfortable like Paul saying? Am I willing to give this up? I, it's just, it's scary. It's really scary. Don, go ahead. You know, the Laodiceans were wealthy, so yeah, they could get complacent. But here in Colossae, they were turning to works. They were turning to cynicism. They were, they were worshiping angels, the special knowledge they received from angels, and they were turning to works of the law. And he's, he's trying to point out the sufficiency of Christ. And when you say in Christ, uh, that, that, that's the key, what you've been saying this whole time. I'm not hearing that. I'm like, okay, that's the key in Christ. Um, when I begin to fear, I used to, when I was younger, I used to run from God. I used to, like Adam and Eve, hid with leaves instead right. of the sufficiency of the, of the skin that represented Christ. I, I believe it's dead, that dead animal. But I run from God. I, when I see my sin in front of me, because I'm seeing I'm falling short of the glory of God, 1 John 1, 6 10, I just start talking to God. I don't care if I'm right in the middle of it. I don't care if I'm right in the middle of coveting something else somebody has. Not necessarily what they have, but I want how much they have. Wow, they got this. I'd like to have that much. And then you start daydreaming. And then you start thinking, well, how could it have been when I was, man, if I had just made this decision, I'd have been real nice. And, you know, and you start daydreaming. And I realize I'm just kind of thinking about this is not what I'm supposed to do. So rather than be afraid, and I do sometimes do that too. When I read the scriptures, that's what it is. It's the very Lord. I'm standing for the judgment. Well, I just run to it. I don't walk away from him. I talk to him. And that's what he loves. He's not one to say, I want you to be perfect. I want you to, when we see our sin, don't get me wrong. I'm not saying we see, we should run to sin and say, oh, goody, I get to keep sin. That's not what I'm about to no, say. No. What I am going to say is when we sin, and the more we look into ourselves and see how far we fall short of the glory, we see the glory of God. We're seeing God's glory, His honor, His majesty, His holiness, His goodness. We're, we're not trying to be, we're not trying to be good enough to be saved, and that's that's the danger of the Wednesday night crowd. Right. And so, yes, we want to come, don't get me wrong, without sanctification, no one's going to see the Lord. So coming to church is our part of our sanctification, but we learn from that, so we grow in that. Right. But if in the end we're saying we're coming to church to be saved, now we're falling from grace. We're falling from His mercy. Yeah, we're trying to add something. But I'm not saying don't come to church. Right. And I'm not even trying to create another law that our our motive's got to be perfect. What I'm saying is, is is just walk with God. That's in His statutes, and when we see we fall short, we talk to confess our sins, and the blood of Jesus continues to cleanse us of our sins. That's what I see as the completeness in Christ. We're not perfect. We try to be complete. Christ completes us. He 
provides for our failings. He provides the initiative for us to get up every day and go do what we need to do. So we can be complete in Christ. Let me read one scripture here, Paul, just a minute. In 1 John 1, verse 6 and 7, If we say that we have fellowship with one another, yet walk in darkness and lie and do not practice the truth, but if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Christ, Jesus Christ, his son, cleanses us from all our sins. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and, and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and righteous to forgive us of our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. That's why I was saying earlier, the wealth we have in Christ, the redemption of sin, the forgiveness of sin, eternal life. Sometimes we don't think about that, that these, these are what we have. And the world needs it. So as we walk, we want to walk in Christ, in his word, not in man's doctrines or man's teachings who could deceive us because why? They're only human. They have ulterior motives to draw you away. You and I both away. I've had friends say, come and go to my church. Okay, what church you go to? I'll go to the community church down here. we got a band like you won't believe. <laughs> I said, sorry, I'm not interested in your band. Okay, but if we're in Christ, and like I said earlier, only way to get in Christ is through baptism. Paul mentions this, in Christ, in him, who provides all these other blessings to us. And if we're walking in the light, as he in light, we have fellowship with him, and we have fellowship with one another. If you're walking with Christ, and I'm walking with you, and you're walking with him, we're in fellowship. There's no doubt about it. Will you always be in fellowship? There may be something come up we disagree on. I've had to talk to many people, and I have to say, I can agree to disagree, but I will still hold to the truth. I don't want to argue about this. This is what the scripture says. It's black and white for me. I am a black and white person. <laughs> That's what it says. I believe it. I want to live it. I want to do it. You know, That's what it says. I have been called a radical on that also. <laughs> well, you're a radical. I said, well... I agree to disagree. <laughs> but what does it mean to walk in Christ? What does it mean for you to walk in Christ? What, where, where do you stand when you walk in Christ? Paul? I wanted to address a comment that Preston had made in regard to fear. Um, and it made me think of uh, some really practical, okay, so what do we do? You know, in 1 Timothy six seventeen. Uh, it says, command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant, nor to put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain, but to put their hope in God, who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. Command them to do good, to be rich in good deeds, and to be generous and willing to share. In this way, they will lay up treasure for themselves as a firm foundation for the coming age. It doesn't say go sell all your stuff. You can't be rich. Right. But don't say that. Give me that verse. Give me a verse. Give me a chapter, verse, chapter, and verse again. Timothy six seventeen. Okay, First Timothy six seventeen. Go back and ponder on that and think about that. It doesn't say you can't have money. It doesn't say you can't be rich. It doesn't say you can't enjoy life. It just basically gives you a guideline how to use your money and what to do with it. 
you know, and realize it was a blessing from God that you have it. Any other comment on that? Is great. It says Timothy, guard what has been entrusted to your care. Turn away from godless chatter and the opposing ideas of what is falsely called knowledge, which some have professed and in so doing have departed from the faith. That was the end of his one of his charges to Timothy. So it, it just seems so applicable. You know, don't fear, don't wonder, don't feel bad about your wealth. Just do good out of your abundance. Be he talked about turning away from the false knowledge that's what Paul's trying to tell the people don't let somebody come in here and deceive you with circumcision circumcision which is done away with the physical form Deuteronomy to Leviticus over there we're talking about the circumcision when Christ come we're now circumcised in the heart we don't have to do that physical act over there so that's the knowledge we need to hold on to. Also, he says, for even though I am absent in body, nevertheless, I am with you in spirit. Rejoice to see your, your good disciplines and the stability of your faith in Christ. When we leave, when I visit other congregations and you walk in and you see there's no division where they have unity among themselves and they're not teaching something contrary to the word of God. That makes me happy. I can go anywhere in the world with the church is established at and know that these are God-fearing people who believe like I believe, who if the scriptures say and have a hope of eternal life through the forgiveness of sins, no matter how rich or how poor, and I can be united with them. Now, if somebody comes in and starts teaching something different, that's what the elders are for, to correct that situation. That's what we're for, to bring it to the elders' attention. That's what we're for, to go and study with somebody that they might be able to rightly divide the truth of the word and come to the knowledge of it, that they may be able to go to heaven. I don't know everything about the scriptures. I'm very simple in my reading and understanding what I think about when I read. But to be established, built up, rooted united, instructed in the word. These are all good things. Rooted. I'm not going to be easily pulled up. It's like a plant. And I've got some stickers in my backyard. They're ornery little boogers. They're hard to pull up, and I like to get them up. But I think, you know, that that's the odd word right there. Let's pull those stickers up because they hurt when you walk across the yard out there or when you're mowing the lawn. But they're rooted. But I found a trick it. Sometimes you'll take a little water and pour around it, soak the ground around it, maybe a gallon of water or whatever, give it a couple seconds. They're not as rooted as they think they are. They will pull up. Burn them. (laughs) Yeah, pull them up and burn them. That's the best thing to do. Oh, just burn them instead of pull them. Yeah. Yeah. But again, I'm talking about rooted in the word of God. Established. When you establish something, you have a foundation. The word of Christ, the word of God is the foundation of Christ. Christ is our foundation. We stand on Christ. We stand in Christ. We stand with Christ. We're in and we're with, standing on the foundation of his word. 
and you can't get any closer or better than that. We're supposed to imitate Christ. If we're imitating Christ, would we not be standing with him? If we're walking with him, who else are we walking with? We're walking with him. In turn, he's walking with us. He hears our prayers. He hears the prayers for the sick, the needy, the homeless, the widows, the orphans, those that have lost loved ones, those whose health is bad and needs needs help and prayers for a healing process through through the knowledge of what the doctors know and what's been given to them. But yet giving God the glory for all that, the healing, the establishment of the church, Think about that in, in, in my life. The effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. So if I'm trying to walk with Christ and to do all that, then because of what the Word says, if I pray and I'm fervent in my prayer, then it's going to help other people just because I'm trying to walk with Christ. I mean, just it's not like you physically do it. You're trying to live that life, but just... The communication with God and what He, the outcome and what He'll do, is is just I can't quantify. It's amazing what He can do. You know, as we're walking, talking, praying for others and for the sick of this congregation, and the petition is always, God, if it be Your will, not my will, not Your will. Brother so and so, Brother Ron Rowland over here has cancer. He's going through a lot of tests. He's going through a lot of procedures and everything right now. There's been fervent prayer put up on his behalf, him and Shirley's both. They're thankful for it. This week, a nation comes together with a loss of a police officer. That's dear to me because my son's a police officer. I understand what they're going through as a family. We are family when we hurt, when we need help, we need prayers, the family hurts together. The family prays together. The family heals together. The family rejoices on answered prayers. We must rejoice and realize as long as we're walking with God in Christ, nothing can stop us from reaching our destination except what? each one of us turning our back on what God has told us to do. Are we willing to follow Christ? Are we willing to be united with him in his word, his preaching and teaching, in his death, burial, and resurrection as a child of God? I think it's John 12, 4, where it says we have the right to become children of God. But you must act upon your right. You must hear the word, believe it, confess it, repent of your sins, obey it, be baptized, and walk faithfully and receive that crown of life. And I know each and every one of you here are willing to do that, or you wouldn't be here tonight. But if you have a need and need to know more about that, there are men in this congregation, myself, others, elders, preachers, and teach other teachers can help you understand that, that we need Christ. The world needs Christ. And at this time in our life, the way the world's going, we need Christ more than we ever need Christ. Amen. 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 Amen.
down at verse, this is a little bit ahead, but down at verse 9, 10. For in him all fretfulness of the deity dwells in his body. Verse 10 in chapter 2, it says, He is the head over every power and authority. You mentioned the state that our world is in. Yes. And I think two things that we get from Christ that maybe we haven't talked about much tonight is comfort and peace. Yes. And those are two of the sweetest gifts I think that we can get. And usually the last thing I tell myself at night after I pray is, Regardless of what's happening around me and how scary it seems, God is still in control. He's in control right now. And I think we need to take that comfort because to me the country is so scary. Yes. And and we can be comforted in Christ knowing he's in charge. There's no entity or power or dominion that's out there that's in control right now doing whatever they're doing that Christ, God, has not ordained. And we wonder why sometimes. Why is that evil person doing this? But yet, God knows why. That's a mystery. But yet, if you want the peace of God that passes all understanding, you need to be in Christ. Paul, did you have one more thing? I was going to say, I I don't deny that things are, quote, unquote, bad, but I would present the idea... Really? Was it worse around the time of World War II when the whole world security was threatened through the Dark Ages? Right. I mean, go through human history, they would laugh at us. Yeah. Oh, yeah, you got it real rough. Oh, boy, you got to deal with some lefties. Yeah. You know? <laughs> it's yeah. like, what? No, there's nothing new under the Each sun. time in history has its own time of what's bad. You know, what, what, I, what we consider bad today, people in the 1700s say, really? You got air conditioning? Ice cubes, water in your refrigerator, you know, <laughs> things like that. Yes. It basically requires us to. It basically requires us to depend more upon God and not on ourselves. You know, when we're considering bad and dangerous and scary, maybe it's going to lead to a revival. I don't know. I mean, I'd be cautiously optimistic. Okay. But either way, our you know our objective and our frame of mind should not change. How many times are we told? Do not fear. Do not fear. Do not be scared. Do not fear. Do not be afraid. For God is in control. And with that said, with that said, excuse you. Thank you for being here tonight. We didn't go very far. Verse three verses, but.